Welcome to AdultBibleStories.com. My vicarious God is vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump to the Word of God. We're doing 2 Corinthians today. If you've never been in the Word of God, you it seems a little bit intimidating. You wonder where certain scriptures are or if it's even in the Bible. That's what we're going to go through. We're going to highlight certain scriptures we may have heard spoken in church and you want to know where is that or if is it in there and so forth. So let's hop, skip, and jump. We're doing 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going down to verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout uh, Achaia, like, something like that. Together with all the saints. That's the first phrase I like to pull out. Together with all the saints. God has created us for fellowship. God has created us to be together, be bound together. You know, there's no more Greek, no more Jew, no more male or female in the aspect as far as uh, spiritual understanding is so that we're all, it means God doesn't respect one group over another one and we're living in we're living in a world that could really take that out of context saying well there's no more male no more female now they have like a hundred different you know whatever but anyway together if all the saints we're supposed to be together with one another we need to be growing together one another we're one body the body of christ and we all have our place and we're and we so we need to get to get our gather together more and more often especially as the days grow darker Let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse 3. It says, Praise to all God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. The Father of compassion. As many people don't think that God is compassionate. They think that God is harsh and that Jesus came to hold back God from really, you know, demanding justice on us. But that's not true. Jesus says, just as, you know, says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus was very compassionate. And if you read the Old Testament through new eyes, through being born again, through understanding, through, you know, uh, uh, who just God is. You see God crying out through his prophets, please, please repent. Please, please return to me because I don't want justice to come. I don't want judgment. Jesus says, God, rather have mercy over judgment. And so you'll see the God of compassion even in the Old Testament. I mean, when Adam and Eve sinned, God is the one who made, uh, created clothes for them. They were trying to get things out of, you know, out of leaves, out of fig leaves. But God actually killed, you know, an animal, a sheep, and, and, and clothed them. And then gave them a promise that one day that he will return them or, or return their seed to the garden. So the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. If you're being comforted, is is the God who loves to comfort those who come to him. You know, we seem to think a lot of like a lot of deism. You know, I kind of grew up as a deist, not because my parents brought me up that way. I don't know how I got there, but that's where I got there. Believing that God, you know, did create us, but he had nothing to do with us. God didn't have anything to do with our everyday life. He didn't intervene anything. He didn't give us any understanding. We're just kind of stuck on our own. You know, he got the wheel started and turned it and here we are. But God is not that way. He is the, he is the God of uh, uh, comfort. He's the God that's with us. He won't comfort us no matter situation. No matter what situation, we can come to him and and say, "Lord, I don't understand. I missed it. I'm short of of understanding." And God will comfort us. Verse five says, "For just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ Jesus, our comfort overflows." So let's get what what overflows here. For just as the suffering of Christ, suffering of Christ flow over. So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. A lot of times we oh stop there. It's enough. You know, vinegar and oil. I'll take the oil. I just don't want the vinegar. No, we gotta have we gotta have the suffering. We gotta the, uh, the Christ Jesus that uh, comfort and suffering. In fact, why would you need comfort if there's not there's no suffering, and and so forth. But but we need to receive uh, not only in our fellowship of one another how we're gathered together. We're supposed to come together, follow the saints. 
you know, they're going to people come together every time you get together in a church or get together as Christian, you know, fellowship, no matter how it comes together, there's going to be some people who are suffering and there's going to be some people, you know, uh, comforted. And so you need to share in that suffering and, and share in that comforting. And so we can all be on the same page in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but I know a lot of Christians who don't want to take part of any of that suffering whatsoever. They have enough suffering in their own life, and they're certainly not going to comfort anybody else because they don't want to have, uh, you know, take part of it. And there's other people who just live a life of suffering, no matter how good it is or how much God does in their life. They just, you know, they're always suffering for Christ in one, one way or another. But we need to have that, that overflow. That Jesus is going to overflow us in both that comfort and that suffering. Let's go to verse 8. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about the hardships we suffered uninformed so paul is telling here us that he's he's getting ready to tell him some things that he doesn't want to uninform so paul is not complaining we know we hear christians and preachers and stuff complaining about all they have to go through or sometimes they're trying to exalt themselves they seem to think the more problems they have the more satan is trying to beat them down but the scripture says that you know it's it's hard you know for the transgressor and and for the righteous the, the day gets brighter and brighter and we'll get more to that. But he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul says, I want you to be informed, which I don't want you to be uninformed means I want you to be informed through some things that we're going through. And and uh, and people like even people like me, we I need to inform people what I'm going through. Because many times I just keep my mouth shut, thinking one way or another, one, you know, because we have this gospel that, you know, that's, that's being propagated through the church that so we shouldn't ever say anything negative. So if you don't say anything negative, then you can't tell anybody what your problem is. Or you just speak the solution. And certainly, I do believe that we need to speak the solution. We need to say to that mountain, be cast in the sea and in Jesus' name and be cast in. But we do need to have a starting point and be able to express or to inform. You know, and it, you know informing is not a confession. Informing is just saying this is where it is. Now, if you continue to inform everybody who comes your way, then that's no longer conforming or that's no longer informing. That is now complaining. But, but Paul says we need to inform you over the hardships we suffered. Let's go on. Let's go on down there to the end of verse nine. Another phrase: This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, on God who raises the dead. Well, let's, go, no, let's, let's do the whole thing. So we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the prov province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we do not. So we even despaired of life. Indeed. In our hearts, we felt the sense of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So all these things we're pressing on, uh, and and that's how a lot of people take the scripture as, as you know taking it as how hard the Christian life is. Well, it shouldn't be hard. Jesus says, "Come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy, my burden is light." Our life should be easy in Christ Jesus. And it says, I said, I said this earlier in Proverbs. It says, you know, the right are uh, the you know it's only road is hard for. You know, uh, it's difficult for the for the transgressor, but for the righteous, the, the day gets brighter and brighter. So where so where does this come together? Is is the word contradicting itself? The word never contradicts itself. But Paul is is giving an explanation right there. It says this happens when we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So there's several things here. So life is hard on you if you're relying on yourself. Take no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in your own flesh. Do not lean to your understanding, but acknowledge, you know, God in all your ways, and He'll direct your path. So, as, so any area of our life that we are leaning upon ourselves, we we are looking to our own self for our own wisdom. We're looking to outside or anybody's flesh, not only our own flesh, but calling everybody on the phone. What do you think you ought, we I had to do? What do you think I had to do? Or Google it. Google. What do you think I had to do? Because anytime we're not trusting ourselves to God, then life is going to be difficult. 
you know, Jesus said, come to me, my, my, you know, my, my burden is light, my, you know, my yoke is easy. And the only way we do that is, is completely put our complete trust in our being and everyday life and every aspect of life on Jesus Christ. Ask the Lord, what would he do? You know, what is he doing in our life? And it goes on and says, this happens when we not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why do you have to put that little phrase in there? Who raises the dead? Because sometimes in our life, we feel the sense of death. Sometimes in our life, we see no way out. We see no you know, way. When well, Nantos said there is no way, but we got to understand that Jesus says he is the way. So we ought not say that phrase because there is always a way. It also says in scriptures that, the, that when we're tempted, he gives us a way to escape. There's always a way out. But you know, God will lead us in down to dead end roads. Yeah, he will. Remember Moses? Remember Moses and, and the Israelites when they're led out of Egypt? They're led right down to the to the um, to the river where it was at flood stage and they couldn't cross. And then behind them came the Egyptian army. Why is, why why did God do that? Well, it says in Scripture God did that so they may receive that that God judges you know judges the good and the bad that He's going to destroy those those things that cause them to be destroyed. So God will lead us into into dead end roads, not to leave us there to you know to perish, to die, to to suffer, but to lead us to show us His glory, to open a path we cannot see, to open a way we cannot see. He'll cause living streams to come out of desert as a desert land, and so God will lead us so we do not depend on our own flesh, because if we're dependent on our own flesh, you know we are going to be the devil's lunch that day, because the devil is very smart, you know, when it comes to the flesh, and we're not so smart. You know, so so we want to depend on God, and even when it looks like death, it's ca- it's causing us to look towards life. You know, when all the when the Israelites were being bitten by serpents and dying, you know, uh, Moses resurrected what was pretty much our symbol of healthcare, the snake on a pole. So if you look upon those things, you'll be healed of the snake bites, or the snakes won't you know won't be able to bite you. The same thing with Jesus Christ. We want to be always looking upon Jesus, upon that cross, upon what he did for us, and, and seeing the joy beyond the cross. That's how Jesus endured the cross, was seeing the joy beyond it, and so forth. So who raises the dead? Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 17. It says, When I plan this, did I do it lightly, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? So this is a principle of life. We shouldn't be just saying yes, yes, and no, no to everything. We shouldn't be saying maybe because the maybe is maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. Let's see. Paul was saying, because Paul was making plans to come, and he wasn't able to come. And people were accusing him, well, you're just saying something that you didn't follow through with. You weren't keeping your word. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. I don't make plans according to the word. If I say I'm going to do something, then it's going to take the gates of hell to delay me. You know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but but sometimes the gates of hell can delay us. We see that in Scripture throughout the New Testament where the gates of hell have delayed, but it didn't stop. So maybe, you know, even in the Old Testament, remember Daniel's prayed and God heard him the first day, but it took 21 days for Daniel to get the answer. A delay, but not a denial, but not a denial. So Paul is saying we need to make sure our yes is a yes and our no is a no. He's pretty much repeating what Jesus says. Jesus was say, don't be like the world, but say, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Make sure people are understood. And if you need to have more information before giving a yes, before giving a no, then do so. Don't just say yes to get somebody to quit asking. Because once you give your word, you need to follow through with your word, even to your own hurt, as it says in Psalms. You know, once you've made a vow, you do it to even to your own hurt. When I plan this, did I do it lightly or did I make my plans a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no, that I ought not to be. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 20. It says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ 
Jesus and through him, amen. So have you ever heard that phrase, yes and amen? It's right there in Christ Jesus. It's yes and amen. It's right there. If you're asking God to heal you, it's yes and amen. God wants to heal everybody. God wants everybody saved. He doesn't always get his will. God wants everybody healed. He doesn't always get his will. God wants everybody at least solvent. It means oh, no man anything but love. But God doesn't always get his will. God wants everybody to be disciple, you know, a light into the world, a salt into the world, reaching people. But God doesn't always get his will. In fact, God doesn't get his will most of the time. Because he's given us free agency. He's given us ability to say yes. He's given us ability to say no. Jesus, you know, gave this parable. He says, you know, a father asked his, asked his son to go out and his son said, no way. So he went to ask the other son, you know, will you go out for me? And, his, and that son said yes, but didn't go. But then the first son changed his mind and went. Which, which son was obedient? Well, the first one. God gives us free agency, you know, uh, to, to decide. I set before you life and death. Choose life. You know, so we can choose for ourselves that we're going to follow God. Choose this day who you're going to serve, as, as Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So all the, yes, so the yeses, if, if Jesus, if God did something for somebody else, then God's going to do that same thing for us if we ask him and ask him to do it with a, with a pure heart, clear conscience, pure faith, which is what love is. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, almost verse 22. Uh, let's see here 22 I guess he anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in the hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to do there's so much here all right I'm really in the hot sun in here or not hot sun but hot cabin so so I am kind of sweating and there are some wasps but, but, but anyway let's go on he anointed us set his seal of ownership on us so we are owned we are owned and not we're bought with a price we're not of ourselves we still have a choice you know, God is not a dictator. He's not going to put chains on us to keep making sure that we do what he tells us to do. He still allows us to make choices, even though that he bought us with the blood of Jesus. But he anointed us and set his seal of ownership. So there's a seal on us. You know, we see in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that, that uh, the Holy Spirit tells or tells or the Holy Spirit puts a seal upon the or puts our angels or something. I can't, I can't remember exactly. Puts a seal on man. God's seal. And we found, you know, that God put a seal on Cain so nobody kills him. But Christ, he has anointed us to put a seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. So actually, he puts our Holy Spirit in our heart. You know, Jesus, who was raised from the dead, he has a physical body. You know, uh, um, uh, even, even when the disciples, Thomas, put his hand in Jesus' physical side and Jesus holds in his hands to touch him. Jesus ate fish, you know, at the... At, at the resurrection or one of the mornings after the resurrection on the, on the beach with the disciples. So Jesus has a physical body and he's physically sitting at the right hand of the father to this day. So, so actually when we say, when we pray to ask Jesus in the heart, we're asking, we're asking, we're asking for the Holy spirit to set up in, uh, uh, in our heart. So it's not really the Jesus, but that's just a technicality. And you know, you know, if you get it wrong, Jesus is still coming. You know, it's, it's, it's the spirit of prophecy, which is Jesus. So it is in your heart. But so just kind of clean it up because a lot of people say, well, you can't ask. Jesus doesn't actually live in your heart. And that's really being kind of religious and confusing the people. But this is where it is. It's the Spirit of God, which is Jesus in our heart at a, as a deposit. So it's a deposit and you got to, re, you know, return the bottle, get your deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Money back guaranteed. <laughs> so chapter 2 of Second Corinthians. It's hopped down to uh, where it says uh, verse into verse 24 it says because it is by faith you stand firm if you're going to stand firm it is because of faith you know our understanding surpasses our knowledge 
So if we just stand it according to our knowledge of the God, Word of God, we stand our knowledge because we're reading the Bible so much, then we're going we're gonna to fall flat on our face because it's got to be faith. Faith in not in what we know, but faith in who God is, faith in what God can do, faith in God's ability, faith in God go beyond our ability, faith in God because by faith you stand firm. We stand firm not because of our education, not because of our lean into our understanding, but because we believe that God is all in all, that we, even if we do come short, we know that God will make up the difference so that we can stand firm even not knowing how or when. You know, it tells us in the book of Ephesians to stand and stand and and don't all stand. Sometimes we just gotta gotta stand because we don't understand. We don't know we don't understand, so we have to stand. We don't know what else to do because we've done all. So we just stand knowing that God is going to come through. That if we missed anything, if we dot, if we missed any I's, God's going to dot them. If we missed any T's, God's going to cross them. If we left out a P, P, He's going to put it in there. If we left out a Q, He's going to put it in there. Because by faith you stand firm. We can't stand any other way but in faith. Without faith we cannot please God. Let's go on to verse, we're saying in chapter 2, going to verse 7. It says, Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort Him so that He won't, will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. So Paul's talking about, remember in 1 Corinthians, they had to cast out a guy in the church who was involved in a sex scandal. So it seems like they had sex scandals at the beginning of the church, too. A lot of people say, we need to return to the book of Acts. Well, they had sex scandals back then, too. And it's not a good thing back then. It's not a good thing now. Paul dealt with them. You want to know how the how the Catholic Church needs to deal with sex scandals? You need to know how the Protestants deal with sex scandals, how the Orthodox deal with sex scandals. It means it means discipline. It means putting the person out who is unrepented out of the congregation, out of the fellowship of believers long enough that they come to their senses, come to their mind, and want to return and have that comfort on them. So Paul said, here's a person who repented. Here's a person who quit, who got out of the sex scandal, who quit doing those deviant things. And came back and says, "You ought to forgive and comfort him. Why you got to forgive him? We can't, you know, where are people forgiven? We are a kingdom of God, a political system in one aspect, but we are a kingdom of grace, not a kingdom of laws. We want to forgive and comfort him. Why comfort him? Because Satan is not going to stop accusing the brother. Once you've done something, he's going to always accuse you. He's Satan's going to gather up people to always accuse you. You know, once a drunk, always a drunk. Once a liar, always a liar. Once a, you know." sex offender always a sex offender satan is never going to stop accusing you especially when he had the right to accuse you at one time and to comfort him why to comfort him because the heart is condemning god put our heart to condemn us you know when we you know heart should you know well let's take back our heart can condemn us god has given us new heart but even then when we go against the word of god the heart of uh, the heart will condemn us but but a heart condemns us god is greater than all things it says and i think in first john and so, so we've got Satan, who's accuser of the brethren. You got other people accusing us because what we did yesterday, we're no longer doing. Think we're going to do it again, and it does take time to get people's trust again. But, and then we have our own heart condemning us, so that so that we not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Right? Reaffirm, because if you affirm your love to somebody, you often have to reaffirm. Remember, remember how Joseph had to reaffirm his love to his brothers over and over and over and over. Remember his brothers, you know, uh, sold him as a slave. He was taken away for many years, and then then the uh, brothers end up going to Egypt, and 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 that's where they end up staying because Joseph took care of them. But when Jacob died, their their father, they they lied to Joseph and says, "Remember, you know what Jacob uh, told us that you would never harm us." And J Joseph says, "You know what what you meant for you know evil, God meant for good." So he never blamed his, you know. At a certain point, he never blamed his brothers for the life that he had to endure. 
He forgave them. And then he had to reaffirm his love to them over and over. And you're going to have to do the same thing. If somebody transgresses against you, and even if a wife who decides to stay with her husband after he's repented of adultery, it's going to take a while. It's, 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 a, it's a healing process. The two become one, and both of you are greatly injured. You know, your husband may have, you know, self-inflicted, and yours is not self-inflicted, wife. But, but man, there's pain in there, and part of it is reaffirming your love for him. You know, and, and, and if you need counseling, you can get counseling, and, 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 and your husband's going to have to reaffirm his love for you by no longer committing adultery, but not just stopping there, but, but showing that he really indeed loves you with, you know, word, deed, and, and mind, and everything else. You know, just as we love God of all heart, soul, mind, and strength, your, your husband needs to love you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He needs to love you as Jesus loved the church. But you're going to have to reaffirm your love when somebody transgress against you and, and, you, and they want to be back in your life and you really want them back in your life because they truly have repented or not going to go that direction. It's not like they asking for forgiveness. And even if they do ask for forgiveness, seven times seven, you are to forgive them. But that doesn't always mean reconciling with them, meaning mean back in their life. But you're going to have to reaffirm your love for people that are really um, repented of a really want to change and are changing. Verse 11, it says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of Satan, of his schemes. So Satan will uh, you know, outwit us if we stay in bitterness, if we stay in unforgiveness, if we don't help our brother recover himself. If we don't, you know, if those who are spiritually help your brother recover himself or help your brother be reestablished or reaffirm your love. If we don't reaffirm our love to somebody, if we, or we don't get reaffirmed, Satan has an upper hand. He will try to take us down because condemnation is great. Accusations are great. And we often say sticks and stones may break our bones, but words never hurt us, man. Words will break you faster than sticks and stones, I'm telling you. So let's hop, skip, and jump. We're staying in chapter 2. But we're going down to verse 14. It says, But thanks be to God uh, who always leads us to Trump. God always leads us to Trump. We need to lead a triumphal th thought process. We need to lead a triumphal life. Many people say, well, you win some, you lose some. Well, the world may say that because that's true in the world. But under Christ Jesus, we should always triumph. We should always win. In Christ Jesus, it's always a win-win situation. But you're saying, so Jeff, you're saying we shouldn't lose? That's... You know, what I'm saying that we need to change our mind. You know, there's a book out um, by John Maxwell that says sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And he actually has lose crossed out because that's how the world thinks. John Maxwell being a Christian, also being a, a former pastor who's now leading many people to Christ through the business world, who always leads us to triumph. So sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. But if we're learning, eventually we will, well, we will change our mind and change how we do something. We will triumph in the matter. Many times we have to go out at a, at a situation, at a, at a downfall, at a, at a sin, many different ways before we actually win. But God is still leading us to triumph if we're learning from our mistakes. If we're learning where we went short. If we're learning that we cannot trust in ourselves, we can put no confidence in our abilities. Even though we have a greater ability today than yesterday, if we have a greater understanding today than yesterday, a greater knowledge, a degree, you know, two degrees, a master's, a PhD, whatever. It is God who leads it to Trump. So no matter what situation come in, God gives us as many times as we need to to triumph over it. So we, so sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. But if we are learning, eventually we will win. So we need to get rid of this mindset that we are called to lose, that we're always going to fall short of the glory of God. You know, well, won't we? Well, yeah, as long as we're in this life, we're going to fall short of the glory of God. But if we think that way, we're going to fall real short. You know, whatever whatever goal you set, at least you're going to get higher than no goal. <laughs> 
So who always leads to triumph? He's always going to lead us to triumph. And those of us, even we fall short and die, he leads us to triumph because we're going to glory, man. We're going to heaven. We're going to eternal life of Jesus Christ where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more hurt, but only victory in Christ Jesus at all times for all ages. So he's always leading us to triumph. We can choose to triumph or we can choose not to triumph. But if we know that God is on our side, there's more for us than against us, then he will lead us to triumph. And no matter if we fall short of the goal line, we can get right back up and pass that goal line the next time around. He is always leads to triumph. Everything he asks for, he's not going to lead us to fail. He's not going to lead us to show us just how ugly we are. We always, you know, if we love God, we're going to find that out. Woo. You know, Isaiah, he says, you know, Isaiah thought he was a real righteous man until he got into the presence of God. He was a preacher until he got in the presence of God and got in the presence of God. He says, oh my, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he asked the Lord, you know, to put, a, you know, to, to clean his lips so that he can speak. But before that, he didn't know that. And we can look at the word of God. We can look at the Ten Commandments and think we're better than somebody else. But I'm telling you, when you get in the presence of God, you're going to say, oh man, I've fallen short. Oh man, am I dirty. I need you, Jesus. But so, so, so when we're in the presence of the Lord, we're not going to have to worry about and down ourselves and, 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 and call ourselves worms and think worse because we're going to know that. Jesus knows that. And so he, but he restores us, restores our soul and leads us to triumph because he doesn't want us to lead us to defeat. And if your mind is always thinking of just how bad we are, then we're going to be led to defeat. Now, the other people are always thinking about how, how great they are, but they're not in Christ Jesus. They're not thinking about it all because, because, you know, it's what Jesus has done for us and the work that God is doing in us. So, so that's another, you know, other side of the ditch. But when we're in Christ Jesus, he always leads to triumph. When we're in relationship, when Jesus says, come to me, all those weary and heavy laden, he's leading us to triumph. He's not going to lead us to failure. He's not leading us to stick our head in, you know, in some dirt and see, look at this message you created. Even, even Adam and Eve, there's no mention of God telling, man, you, Adam, do you understand how, how bad you messed up? Do you understand that you let sin in this world, that everything is going to be destroyed, that there are going to be millions upon billions of billions of people go to hell because, because of what you did? No, God never did that. God never told Adam just how bad he sinned, and God has never told you just how bad, just how, how, how big of consequences that you know, you've done, how the percussions of your sin went out and reached many people. Because if God told you that, we just melt in death. We just melt in fear and, and sorrow and shame, and we couldn't raise back up. But God causes a triumph. God causes to get us to get back on our feet and, and to move forward and to press forward. Those, you know, forgetting those things and lie behind and press forward. So that's a sprinkler system outside if you're hearing that, hearing that sound. So let's hop, skip, and jump in chapter 3. And we're going down to the verse, into verse 6. It says, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, meaning, meaning the Old Testament kills, or, or all the commandments that God kills. It's supposed to. It's supposed to kill the flesh. But the Spirit gives life. If all you do is kill the flesh, and you don't have the Spirit of life, which is Christ Jesus, if you understand the Spirit of the, of the law even, then, then you're not going to be raised up. You're not going to be able to triumph. So he's not a minister of the letter. It means he's not trying to condemn people. He's not trying to show people all the, all the ways they've done wrong, all the ways they've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, there may be a time to do that, especially if somebody, you're going out and says, I don't believe in this God thing. I don't believe in this Jesus thing. Then, that, then you need to kill their flesh. Then you need to bring up the law so they see their need for a Savior. But, but those who are born again, he said, I can't, I'm not going to teach you the law because the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. And if you want to triumph in all matters, 
then you got to know the spirit gives life. You got to know that God is with you. You got to know that you're well able and you know to do it, that God is well able and willing to help you through a situation. Rather be one of sin or one of, or of excellence or so forth. But the but the, the letter kills. Now I teach now some people may accuse me, you know, of teaching the letter of the law, but no, I teach the spirit of the law. I don't teach the letter of the law. I don't teach that that if you obey these things that you're going to go to heaven. In fact, I teach if you know if you obey these things, then you have to obey all things, and you can never sin, or you're going to hell. Because only in Christ Jesus can a person get, you know, be born again. Only a person in Jesus can reach, uh, uh, reach eternity and receive Jesus Christ and, and, and heaven. For the letter kills, but I teach the spirit of the law. And let's take uh, of tattoos. The letter of the law says don't get a tattoo. And there's a lot of people teach if you're going, if you got a tattoo, you're, go, you're going to hell. That's the letter of the law. Why? Why did it say don't get tattoos? Because they were marking in the flesh, you know, uh, uh, death uh, of people that had died or, or, uh, or tattoos were also a sign of slavery, just as earrings back then were a sign of slavery. So if you have an earring, if you're going to teach on the law, you have an earring, then then the letter of the law, then it says you're a slave to somebody. Remember, it says in Leviticus, if somebody is in your house and, and, and after seven years you restore them, they have the chance or opportunity to go, but if they decide to stay, then they become a servant and you pierce their ear. So, so it's a sign of slavery. Now, what is the letter? What is the the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law is don't become a slave. The spirit of the law is don't be mastered by anybody. That we all have the same access to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same access to the Father. We don't need to become slaves to men. In fact, Paul says, don't enter into slavery. Don't enter into the same bondage. Don't go to God, and or don't go to man as being God. Don't go to man as being the manufacturer as who's created you. I mean, too many times we're going to one another trying to figure out what to do in our life, and we don't ourselves don't know what to do in our life. We all need to go to, to God. So it says, don't. So it says, so the the spirit of the of the of the law is don't become a slave. You know, personally, I kind of like some tattoos. I think there's a lot of tattoos that need to be wiped off. But there's some people, I mean, tattoos seem to make, make them. Uh, I would never get one because I just don't want to have something, you know, permanent on me. But so forth. But uh, but I don't know, you know, <laughs> when we get our resurrected bodies, I don't know if you'll have that, those tattoos on your body or God will wipe them off. I don't know. But but anyway, not condemning you for having a tattoo because many people had tattoos before they're saved. And if you even got a tattoo after you were saved, you know, the, the don't if you live by the letter, then you're going to die by the letter. But if you live by the spirit, you're going to live by the spirit. If it's a, you know, it's a tattoo that that's really anti-Christ and six 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 or something that's not, you know, glorifying God, then you simply probably, you know, at least covered up if not get rid of it. But but know this, you're not going to, you know, receive Jesus Christ and then get, you know, not you know, denied access into the kingdom of God because you have a tattoo. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life, and that's true on many things. You know, there the letter talks about uh, the, uh, the letter of the law talks about tithing, and, and there's people who who demand that you tithe. And I, I'm a, I'm a great believer of, of tithing, but I teach the spirit of tithe. The spirit of tithe comes from Abraham before he even was in the law. Abraham tithed out of uh, out of honor. He honored God. He I knew that God was the God of create, who created the heavens and earth. He honored God that everything good in his life came from God, so he gave him ten percent. That's that's the spirit of the law. That's how I tithe. I tithe all the time. I don't tithe according to the law. I tithe according to my heart. My heart loves God. It loves to give ten percent. Loves to honor God. But there's a lot of people, and I I do read out of Malachi and so forth, but I don't teach it with with the presence or with the force of the law i teach it as honor it is it is a law but it's it's got to be obeyed through honor and not by law 
So let's hop, skip, and jump. Hope that you understand that a bit more. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 12. It says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So you need hope to be bold. And many times, many Christians are not out there being lights in the world because they don't have that boldness, and they don't have that boldness because they really don't have the hope. They're losing hope in this lifetime. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. Remember, Moses came down from the mountain, and his face was brightly lit because he was in the face. It was because he's in the presence of God. He saw God face to face, and and people, and so he had to put a veil because it brought because it blinded people. But we're not like Moses. We're not supposed to hide our light under a bed or under a bushel, as Jesus said. Jesus says, "You're the light of the world." Jesus is the light of the world. He put his, when we become born again, He put His light inside us, and we're we are now light in the world because He's in the heaven. And it says not to put a veil over. Don't cover up that light. That doesn't mean we need to be you know have this flashlight and go stick it in people's eyes and and you know and blinding them. You know, sometimes you can walk out of the house and kind of look up towards the sun and all of a sudden you're discombobulated, disoriented because that light is so bright. And many Christians do that too. They, they go into the darkness with big, big spotlights and they're trying to show their own righteousness on people and blinding people. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about not hiding this, this incandescent light, not to hide in this light that gives people vision to see. When you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, your eyes might flicker like that might get used to it, but you should be able to see how to clean up. Because if you're walking into a room that's that's messy, then you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to hurt yourself. So you turn on the light first. We as Christians need to turn on the light. You know, when this earth was created, you know, God created the heavens and earth, and it was void. It was about form. It was really messed up. Then God said, "Let there be light," because there has to be light on the situation before you can even confront the situation, before you can correct the situation. I guess you can clean your room in the dark. Dark. I guess you can take a shower in the dark, but you may miss behind your ears. You may miss something, and you will miss something. So we need to be a light in the world before we even speak. You know, we need to say, let there be light. But before we're even trying to, you know, correct somebody, we need to make sure the light is on. Before we, you know, helping somebody get the dirt off them, we need to make sure the light is on and the light is Jesus shining through us. So, so but many times it says, since we have, we don't have that hope, uh, we don't have the hope, so we're not bold. So we kind of turn down that light or we try to cover up that light. We try to, you know, put, you know, filters on our light and you know in cameras you can put filters on and make it look different 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 ways because we don't have that bonus because we don't have the hope that we should in christ jesus we have a hope that one day we you know we're, we have that hope that we're forgiven one day we make it to heaven but we don't have a hope of being a strong enough christian you know to be a light in the world because satan who's a accused of the brethren he's always going to point out where we're falling short of the glory of god where we're falling short not being like a christian when you should never let the world tell you what a Christian is because they don't know what a Christian is. And even ourselves, we are just learning what, how it is to be Christ-like. And so but our light needs to be shined. We need to not put a veil. Doesn't need to, we need to be in people's face, but we need to let that light shine in everyday practice without trying to cover it up, without trying to put a veil over us so people don't see that we're a Christian by keeping our mouth shut, by ducking away when they ask questions, and so forth. Hop, skip, and jump. Uh, let's go on to, into verse 14. It says, it has not been, talking about the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So the old covenant is not removed. The, this, the, the legalism is not removed. The letter 
of the law is not removed until we're in Christ Jesus. The law is only removed when we're in Christ Jesus because the law leads us to Christ. But once we're in Christ, the law never is no longer trying to raise us raise us up. The law is no longer trying to lead us to Christ because we're in Christ. And so we no longer look at the Ten Commandments, whether we've been good or bad, but we look at what Jesus did. And he says it is good. You know, and, and when God created the heavens and earth and created the days, he's every, at the end of each day, he said it is good. He's redeemed. You know, he deemed us good. He deemed that day good. In Christ Jesus, we are redeemed for good. So we're not looking at the law for righteousness or where we've fallen from righteousness or come short of the glory of God. We're looking at Jesus who will correct us. Remember Jesus in the book of Revelations. He says, I have this. This is what you're doing well. This is what you're doing well. This, But this is what I have against you. That is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus knocked on the door and says, let me in so I may sup with you and teach you my ways. So if you're in a relationship with Jesus, he's going to tell you where you're falling short. He's going to correct you and where you need to be corrected. You don't correct a prostitute on smoking. They have bigger issues. Of course, the biggest issue is not knowing Christ and what he and what he believes about the body and what he believes about the value of the person. You need to start with the value of the person in Christ Jesus rather than an outer outer problem, smoking. Say, I can go a lot, a lot there, but let's keep on going because we only got like six minutes left and it is getting hot because I'm in a cabin without air. Chapter 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have the ministry, we do not lose heart. So God, so if you do anything for the Lord, it's out of his mercy. It's not because you did everything right. Many are called, but few are chosen. You know, when God calls you, you're not qualified. Many people think, well, God's called me to do this and try to do it the next day. I was one of them, but I had to learn. God didn't call me because I was qualified. God calls you, then qualifies you. And it may take some time before you're qualified, before you're actually chosen to go do the work he has for you, because God's got to do work in you before he can work through you. So, but you're, but if you're in any position, if you've done anything for God, it's not because of, of your own ability, because God had mercy on you. So those who are disqualifying themselves, there was those who are hiding from the Lord because they, you know, they came up short. They did something even, even heinously. I can't be used by God anymore. That's not true. God is always going to use you because of his mercy, not because of how great you are. God didn't look down and go, wow, I didn't know that you were that qualified. I had no idea that you had those kind of skills. Let me use you. I think I was thinking about using that donkey over there, but, you know, <laughs> but I think you're much better. No, no, God uses us out of his mercy. That, that, that doesn't mean we need to live a lackadaisical life, you know, a lady will see a life. But it, or a lukewarm life, a room temperature life, a life without excellence, a life without Christ. But it means we need to know that it's Christ who makes up the difference. It's God who makes up the difference. We're called out of his mercy and not out of our own ability. God doesn't use us. He deploys us. He gives us, you know, he, he, he's he provided him for himself. Just like Abraham, on Ab you know, when Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice his son, God says, I'll provide for myself. And God will provide for himself in your life. Don't try to your ministry or your business don't try to build it on your own you know unless god builds the you know uh, builds the wall is built in vain unless god builds up the house or watch the wall is built and watched in vain but if god builds up the house and is built in vain same thing with, with a business and ministry it's god who provides god it doesn't mean we don't work because we do work but it's got to be through christ jesus for it for it to be to be really established so as you not lose heart rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways so why would we lose heart by not renouncing secret and shameful ways. First thing we need to do is not keep any secrets between us and God. Because God knows everything that we've done in the body already. He knows what's going on in the heart. He knows what you're thinking on. He knows where you're being tempted. So let's just be real with God and announce it to him where we've come short. Where we're, you know, those secret sins and those shameful ways. 
And, and sometimes we may even need to, you know, reveal that to other people. It says in First John, I think, it says, confess your sins to one another so they can pray and be healed. It's not confess your sins so you can be forgiven. Only God forgives our sin. But many times our sin is, is so condemning that we need to ask, you know, somebody to announce to somebody else so it's no longer in the dark, it's no longer in the closet. I don't want to hide your sins in the, in the closet. I don't want homosexuals to stay in the closet, you know, and, and not deal with the situation or, or liars or thieves or, or, you know, whatever. I want you to come out so you can be healed, so you can, you know, be ministered to by the body of Christ, not only in Jesus, but his body is down there. We need to be ministered to one another. So we do not use deception nor to distort the Word of God. And that's where the problem is, is many people try to get the Word of God to apply their life. They, want, they see something in their life, so they go looking for a scripture to apply to them. They deceive themselves and they distort scripture for their own life. We need to look in scripture and it says this, the Word of God separates spirit and soul. You know, separates our, you know, the good from the bad. It separates from what is right and what is wrong. But many times we try to you know deceive ourselves and distort the word of god for our own purposes and it does not give god glory and cause us eventually lose heart how do you lose heart it means you become discouraged disappointed disappointed in in this situation you know and so so forth so let's hop skip and jump to verse three because we only got a few minutes left and even if our gospel is veiled is veiled to those who are perishing the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see so if you want to know where that is where where satan has blinded the people it's right there and here the gospel is veiled to those veiled to those perishing. So you may be a Christian. You may come out of a horrible situation. There's going to be people that never believe you. No matter how much you've been changed, no matter how much you transformed, they're going to think that you're of the same darkness as them because they're because they are the veil is over them. They have sunglasses on. Or sometimes my mom forgets to take her sunglasses off when she comes in. The, you know, comes into the house, and everything is darker. Why is everything so dark? We need to open the windows, turn on the lights. Well, many people are living in the darkness. They haven't, you know, what's that song from the 80s? Corey Hart, I wear my sunglasses at night. There's many people who have sunglasses on in the darkness. So it doesn't matter how bright you get. Their, their life is even darker because not only the darkness that they live in, but the darkness they keep putting on. Well, that, well that's, that's, that's a teaching in itself. That could be a whole series of teachings about people putting on darkness rather than putting on light, as Jesus Christ tells us to put on light. So, so don't let, you know, people convince you that you're not a Christian put on the helmet of salvation put on the you know those kind of things just because you're falling short of the glory of God just because you haven't learned the appropriate ways proper ways to do certain things that doesn't mean you're no longer a Christian you know God doesn't have wide out in heaven he's not widening out or erasing your name every time you make a mistake you're you're written in the Lamb's book of life because of your trust in Christ Jesus not because of your own works not because of what you did right and not because of you know your name's not taken out because of what you failed it's only in Christ Jesus if you did not deny Jesus in word or in deed you know continue living a life of denial you know Peter denied Jesus you know three times but the fourth time you know he returned to Jesus Judas denied Jesus you know in, in deed and did not return to Jesus so we're written in the last book of life because we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our life, as Lord in our life. We believe he was raised from the dead and we, and we confess out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the more we follow him, the more lordship he takes over us, not out of a dominion and not out of being a despot because he's not a despot, but because we kindly give it to, her, to him because we know that he is, he knows more than us, right? You, you believe that, right? You, you do believe that God knows more than us, that we don't know everything. And we know what we know, and sometimes we don't even know what we know, because if you think you know, you don't know, as Paul says, but hey, that's another scripture, another day, another time. So let's go on to verse, uh, verse 5. 
says, for we do not preach ourselves. And so we don't go preach ourselves. We don't go around telling people, here's 12 steps you need to do because this is what I did. Unless we, they're grounded and rooted in the love of God. We preach Jesus Christ. We preach Christ crucified. You have 12 steps and say, now it's a higher power. Well, now you're preaching yourselves because there is only one higher power. Well, I guess there is higher powers if you want to be technical. There is, angels are stronger than us. They're wiser than us, have more, you know, light, in, you know, in themselves if we're in, our, you know, if we're not in Christ Jesus. But we not preach ourselves, we preach Jesus Christ. We need to preach that he is first and foremost, that he needs to be the center of any program, the center of all things, if we're going to be healed, delivered, and set free. Let's go on to verse 7. It says, but we we have this treasure in jars of clay. If you ever wonder where that band come, why they call themselves jars of clay, it's right there. Uh, to show us this all surpassing powers from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So Paul is talking about how, how hard life was earlier, but now that he has learned to, to depend on Jesus, the hardships are not taking him down. In fact, one time in the book of Acts, a serpent, a, 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 a venomous serpent lashed onto Paul, and Paul just shook it off. People thought we're waiting for him to die, but he didn't. He shook it off. So we can have... I know discouraging things going around us. We can have circumstances that are not in favor, but still not be beaten down. Still have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength to endure those things. And it goes on, we carry all around in our body death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are alive or always being given over to death. <laughs> if we're going to be a Christian, we're always going to be given over to death. Why are we always going to be given to death? Because we died with Christ. It says we are buried with Christ, but we're always resurrected with Christ. So count ourselves dead. So our, our flesh is always going to be always going to be want to be resurrected itself. It's always going to want to come back. You know, your flesh never gets better ever, 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 and ever, never, 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 ever, ever, ever. If you're becoming living a better life, a more righteous life, is because you learn to walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of flesh. But the lust of flesh is always going to be there for your choosing if you want to choose that. So that why so that's the reason that God always gives us over to death. Because when we're always given over to death, it's killing those things that are ungodly in us, and that we can live a life of righteousness, live a life of light, and not live a life of darkness. And if that death is working in us, it's working life in somebody else. Because how many times have you seen some pe people that think that you're, I mean, they're perfect, and so you're falling short, and you just want to give up? But when you see somebody who shares with you what they're going through, and you see them going through it strong. And even if it's long, they're still going through it strong. Then it brings courage to you that you too are worthy of God's affection, that you too are worthy of God's pottership, if that's even a word, you know, we, and that he is a potter and we the clay to fix you and, and repair you and make you even better. So death is always working us. One time I always, and this is often taught, maybe see, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross, you know, take up your cross, deny yourself. For we are alive in Christ, always being given over to death. Some people, you know, talking about death to self or crucify your flesh. And that's all kind of the same message. But death is always working us so that other people may see that God isn't working us, that we're not made perfect yet. We have not reached that line of perfection, that we're all going to cross that line at the same time when the resurrection comes. So death is always working us, but life isn't working you. Because when you see me go through something and I've came out strong, that God has shown himself uh, faithful, then you too are going to be encouraged to go through that valley of the shadow of death so that God can work a thing in your life as well. Therefore, we do not lose heart, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So you want to learn heart, uh, lose heart, you've got to be renewed. In the, uh, God, you know, walking up the Lord is a day-to-day. -day. If you want to have a relationship with somebody, it cannot be a long-distance relationship to be strong. It needs to be day-to-day. -day. 
Uh, let's go on to verse. Uh, so, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's a whole message that God is bringing up to me about fixing and setting our eyes on something. We need to set our eyes on the scene. No, everything we see is going to change. Even the good, even the good that's going on in our lives is seen. Even God is blessing you, prosperity. And even if God heals you, you're going to get, you're, you're going to die. You know, God raised up Lazarus from the you know, dead after being dead for four days, but he eventually he had to die again. That's why I don't understand why people want to, you know, hit their snooze button. People, you got to wake up again and again and again. Why do you want to go through that kind of pain and waking up again and again? Just, just bite the bullet and wake up the first time that snooze alarm goes on so you don't have to do it again. But, you know, even, you know, prosperity, building cabins, building houses. One day it's going to burn up so the, the heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. So we got to set our eyes on what is unseen, what is going to come. The kingdom of God is, is not here and there, but the kingdom of God is, is within us. The kingdom of God cannot be seen. Unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Someday the kingdom of God will become visible to the naked eye, to the unspiritual eye, but not until Jesus returns us to earth. So we need to set our sides on what's unseen. So many times we set our eyes on what is seen. I fell short. I, I sinned again. Uh, here's here's a one minute of time I've sinned in the same area. And we get disappointed and we lose heart. We step away. But we're, our, we need to set what is unseen. We need to see what God sees. We need to say, see the end from the beginning. We need to see us winning rather us falling short again and again. So uh, we're way past our 45 minutes. So uh, um, we're done with, uh, I guess we'll head on to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the, on the next uh, next episode. AdultBobaStories.com Our vicarious God and His vicarious people.